Not bad for a tin man. Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast that likes to see terminal force applied to any and all helicopters. Now, in the 1980s, the film industry went through a revolutionary change. The home video boom created a whole new market for distributing films. That commercial opportunity prompted two enterprising filmmakers to form their own production company, PM Entertainment. Specialising in action films of one genre or another, they produced over 100 films between 1989 and 2002 for the home video market. With their commitment to huge explosions, spectacular car stunts and elaborate martial arts fights, they carved out a cult reputation among action movie fans that lasts to this day. So on this show, we're looking at one classic example of their output, 1994's T-Force. To help me review the film, I'm joined by a man you can always rely on to infiltrate, locate and destroy on contract. With me today is Chris Kavinsky from Bulletproof Action. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks, Will. Great to be here and always love talking about PM Entertainment movies and T-Force is one of the best. (laughs) That is so fortunate because uh, otherwise this could have been uh, sort of very painful uh, sort of next hour or so for you. Right, exactly. And, and and it has an exploding helicopter. So, of course, we're going to talk about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's no coincidence that we are talking about uh, PM Entertainment uh, today. And that's because over on your site, you are currently celebrating their work or celebrating the work of this legendary production company. So do you want to tell people um, a little about your site and um, a little about the, the feature that you're currently running? Sure can. Uh, BulletproofAction.com. We started five years ago. We're actually celebrating our anniversary this month. And as part of that, we we decided to spotlight PM Entertainment. You know, it started me and a a buddy of mine who were actually in the independent professional wrestling world got together and shared our love of action movies and decided, you know, let's share our love of action movies with the whole world. And here we are (laughs) five years later, so many posts and, uh, yeah, so PM Entertainment, though, has been a big part of those five years. Um, I'll watch probably at least one or two a month and uh, love to cover them. But PM, as you, you mentioned, kind of came up in that big time in the 1990s, really, was when they really hit in that video store era mm. where you were at the video store every weekend, and their titles filled the shelves. Um, founded by Richard Pepin and Joseph Mary, that's where the, the PM name comes from, they actually did a lot of these films. The average cost I read was $350,000 of film, so that would explain how they were churning out so much product. A lot of times the films were either in Los Angeles or Las Vegas. That was kind of the backdrop. And you brought up the the explosions, all the vehicular mayhem, the kickboxing, and they also like to throw in a little bit of sex appeal, um, which obviously mm. catered to the R-rated movie fans. <laughs> Uh, over here in the States. And uh, some of the luminaries that they they uh, called stars, you got Don the Dragon Wilson, Lorenzo Lamas, Wings Hauser, uh, one of my favorites, Michael Wirth, Gary Daniels, and one Jack Scalia. Yes, and that's uh, somebody that we will be uh, discussing a little bit later. But uh, yeah, as you say, I mean, PM Entertainment, if you were alive during the 1990s and and going to the video stores, I mean, you definitely were aware, certainly if you were interested in action movies, you were definitely aware of of PM Entertainment's uh, output. I mean, they were a real staple of video stores and, um, you know, they ruthlessly catered 
to the kind of the taste of uh, of action movie fans and mm-hmm. uh, you know as you say they their, their films may have been um, very low budget um, you know just made for you know uh, really just you know small change really when compared to to some of the blockbuster videos but they really whatever money they spent they really put it on the screen with huge spectacular explosions you know spectacular car stunts i mean what for you are some of the kind of the hallmarks of a typical pm entertainment uh, movie well if, if you're not flipping a car over you gotta <laughs> there's got to be and another thing i've noticed because i've seen quite a bit they will recycle some of these big stunts and you'll see some of that footage in, in more than one movie it's like oh i've seen that white car before oh yeah here it goes it's gonna flip and there it goes so yeah car flips for sure if, if there's not a car flip i'm angry if i'm watching a pm entertainment movie <laughs> and certainly you have to uh you know i love a, an explosion especially if it's an, a helicopter but the explosions in pm entertainment films are generally very very lavish i mean they were obviously operating um, for the most part in an era before cgi and even you know cgi came you know started really being sort of used probably fairly regularly in the mid 90s but uh, that was clearly sort of out of the uh, the price range for pm entertainment so they were just basically using old school pyrotechnics and clearly gasoline was cheap in the 90s because the size <laughs> of the size of the fireballs that they generate in their films is uh, pretty spectacular that could explain the the spike in gas prices in the early 2000s is pm <laughs> entertainment they may be responsible anyway i think we have uh, i think we've set the scene for uh, for pm entertainment as a uh, as a production force so um i think it's time that we got stuck into t4 so uh, let's listen to a trailer man impersonator explain the film created to obey forced to rebel now they are a law unto themselves. Why did you stay? It seems to me the created disobeying its creator is the first step towards disorder. He is now your new partner. I hate robots. Why does it make so many strange noises? Because it's 30 years old. Perhaps you should consider replacing it. And perhaps you should consider kissing my butt. No! If we apprehend terminal force, what will happen to them? We're going to break them down and turn them into electric razors. Actually, that would not be an efficient use of robotic resources. The dick, Charlie, come here. She's one of them. They were created to make beds and take out the trash, not carry automatic weapons. We must neutralize the law. We will crush the law. In the near future, the police have a special unit of kick-ass killer robots called the Terminal Force, or T-Force, who are used to deal with the most dangerous criminals. Sent in to end a hostage situation, the robots end up killing some innocent civilians. With a public relations disaster on their hands, the mayor orders the T-Force program to be shut down. Unfortunately, the robots find out that they're about to have their batteries yanked, and through some crazy circuit board logic decide that the mayor must now die. The only man standing in the way of all this cybernetic silliness is an old-school robot-loathing cop. He's joined by Kane, the only tinny member of the T-Force who rejected the mayor-murdering plan, thinking it clashed a bit with his program to protect and serve. So, in the 
finest traditions of mismatched buddy cop movies, cop and robot team up to stop the rogue T-Force members before they can whack the mayor. That's assuming, of course, that they can stop irritating and arguing with each other for three consecutive minutes. In the lead roles, we have Jack Scalia, who enjoyed a long career in TV and uh, low-budget movies. The Mayor is played by Erin Gray, who, having survived several series of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, already knows a thing or two about annoying robots. And there's also a small role at the start of the film for perennial film villain Vernon Wells, best known for his iconic turns in Commando and Mad Max 2. T-Force was directed by Richard Pepin, who was one of the founders of PM Entertainment. The film has a 4.7 rating on IMDb and a 43% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So having set the stage, uh, let's find out what my guest thinks. So Chris, what did you make of T-Force? Well, what I liked about T-Force is kind of the uh, the mixing of genres. Kind of the, you had the buddy cop. You also had the Universal Soldier Terminator type thing kind of coming together. Mm. Uh, and even in the, the, the relationship between uh, Bobby Johnson and Jack Scalia is kind of reminded me of Alien Nation as well, just because you got two guys from completely different worlds uh, coming together. And as you said, it's a rocky relationship, especially <laughs> at first. But uh, as things often turn out in these films, by the end, they're on the same page and uh, – but what a what a way to kick off things, and that's that's another hallmark of PM Entertainment. They grabbed your attention quick in their movies. Mm. That that opening scene is usually something that you're not going to be like, okay, no, I don't want to watch any more of this. You're going to keep going. And uh, when we get to see the T Force in action, kind of coming in as disguised as cr- release criminals, and then all hell breaks loose. You're not going to turn off after that. No, you're certainly not. I mean, T Force is. For my money, it's one of uh, PM Entertainment's best films and it delivers great action. It delivers great characters and, you know, all of those things combined to to make uh, a great film. And as you said, you know, there are some, you know, the film really kicks off with a bang and it really delivers from there on in on a regular basis with, you know, some sort of action uh on a on a you know every sort of 10 minutes or so there's some sort of action sequence of some scale or another maybe it's just a punch up maybe it's something a bit more extravagant than that but um running along the film there is this really fantastic relationship between the two characters at the heart of the action here and so it just adds up to a really satisfying mix of uh mix of elements yeah and i i really i mean the kane character to me is the heart of the whole movie just a great character, like one of the most beloved characters in any PM Entertainment movie I've seen. I mean, how can you not like this guy? He's like the robot with the heart of gold. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that uh, relationship, because as you say, at the center of this film, we we have um, that relationship between, um, you know, the cop Jack Floyd and the robot or cybernaut, as he insists on being called, Kane. And... You know, I don't know about you, but I was actually really surprised at how good that aspect of the film was. Because, I mean, I've I've watched a lot of PM Entertainment films and they have they have many qualities. But generally, depth of character is typically not the greatest strength of PM Entertainment. But I think in T-Force, they actually, you know, they actually managed to create really well-rounded characters, give them a great arc and... You know, it just really elevates this film um, amongst their sort of catalogue. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, yeah, there's a, an actual story here. And it, like you said, the characters develop. They're not just the same from the beginning to the end, which is normally the case. It's just I'm the super action hero, and I'm going to be that the whole way through. We see a change in Jack, mm. and, and, and Kane has to kind of win him over and really win everybody over because as far as the mayor is concerned, he should have been shut down along with his uh, compadres. So. Yeah, exactly. And as, as you say, at the, you know, so it starts off with, you know, you've got Jack Scalia's cop. Um, he distrusts robots fundamentally. He doesn't believe that they should have any place in the world of law enforcement. They, they shouldn't be tasked with doing anything more complicated than taking out the, uh, taking out the trash. They shouldn't be sort of left to make, um, independent decisions as the T-Force are, are left to do in this role as kind of, uh, a sort of special unit uh, for the cops but you know naturally i don't think we're giving anything really away here in terms of, of spoilers obviously there you know there comes a moment where kane changes jack's opinion and sort of uh, ends up sort of saving his life and that forces a, a rethink in, in jack's mind and there's a there's a really fantastic sort of sequence or series of scenes sort of about halfway through this movie where after that pivotal moment in their relationship where Jack takes uh, Kane to uh, to his local bar and teaches him how to play pool and buys him a bottle of whiskey. And those moments actually are, I think, the most strongest moments of the film. The most, they're the most entertaining, even though nothing is blowing up. There aren't any cars flipping over. It's just these two characters sort of, you know, hanging out and, you know, developing their relationship. Right. I mean, unlike some PM entertainment movies you're you're kind of you have to suffer through those types of scenes where it's just <laughs> the characters and it's like, come on we need a car chase we need something to blow up but in here you're actually no you're into the story and then oh as a bonus as the icing on the cake oh here comes an explosion here comes some gunfire here comes some fisticuffs so yeah i think that again is a, a good reason why why t-force is among the best well i think having praised some of the 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 elements of uh of the of the robots or the cybernauts in this film i think there are some elements that perhaps don't work um as well so you know we see the the robots in this film and you know they're confronted with contradictions in their programming and as they try to make sense of this this is that that's what basically kicks them off into turning rogue and trying to kill the mayor and becoming these killer robots that ultimately need to be sort of stopped within this film. Now, this is a kind of element that we, you know, you've seen many, many times before in, in science fiction movies where some sort of, you know, technology becomes sort of, I don't know, grows in its own, uh, grows in its own self-awareness and then decides actually humans must be destroyed. And, you know, I wondered how well you thought that this aspect of the film was handled. Um, for me, I've got some reservations about it, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. How did, how did that element of the film strike you? Uh, well, I will say this as far as the, the cybernauts, they picked the right actors to play robotic people. <laughs> Because no one's going to accuse Evan Lurie or Darren McBee uh, of being Shakespearean actors. So that's why I was like, wow, this is actually a good, you know, good cast, good, solid casting. Um, but, yeah, it's, you kind of 
Mm, yeah, it's it's the best I've ever seen from them, but I, I, that's probably a backhanded compliment. But yeah, you you've got. I mean, that part of it certainly wasn't original, where the the robots turn against us. Um, and I don't know. It's the best that I've ever seen that uh, theme portrayed. But uh, and some of the writing, I think, is is really. I mean, some of the weakest writing of the film is in those parts of the right. film where, you know, they're, they're sort of having this, this pivotal moment before they turn bad. And the sort of the dialogue between the robots just sort of comes, basically the arguments just sort of come down to one of them going, obey authority, and the other one's going, no, threaten self-preservation. And it's it was, just... It, it's, it was it's, great it's, taste, less filling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, there will there was also some other um, sort of strange moments within the film that. Are you talking about uh, the magazine part? I certainly am talking about the magazine part. So uh, yeah, just to set this up a little bit for for people who haven't watched the film, there's a there's a moment, there's a sort of sequence a little bit later where the the robots having decided to uh, to sort of throw off their law enforcement uh, shroud and basically go out and into the world and become sort of independent characters and decide to uh, to kill off the mayor. Where I guess the idea is that they are sort of continuing their journey of self-awareness where one of the robots finds a, a, a porn magazine and sort of looks at it quizzically and then there's a very strange sex scene between um, two of the robots which is, right with, is, with the, is third really, one, is, the third one reading the magazine making sure they're doing it right <laughs> yeah sort of checking sort of checking that they're following the instructions oh, yeah, that's, exactly yeah, that's where the hand's I mean, supposed to go and that's where you um, that part goes there <laughs> yep i mean that was a really strange moment i mean I'm, I'm i'm guessing it struck you the same way absolutely absolutely but you know again that's that's pm like well we got to throw some nudity in there somewhere so here's a good place it's like you wouldn't think with robots you'd have that opportunity but pm entertainment proved us wrong well, I wanted to talk about this film's uh, vision of the future because the the year is is never mentioned, but there are uh, a couple of references which suggest that this this film is taking place in in two thousand and seven or around then. And you know, I I just wondered about how you thought that the sort of the future was uh, you know portrayed in in this particular film because. You know, we get to see um, a little bit of kind of future technology. There, are, there's sort of the use of uh, portable holograms for sort of uh, that the police use in order to uh, to show uh, witnesses like potential suspects. And you know, there's some other kind of uh, you know sort of touches which yeah, you got are... the, the big bulky FaceTime phones. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Look, so, look like old handheld uh, video games. With yeah. So how did you, how did you think the you know that how did you think that the the film sort of obviously this is a very low budget film but how do you think that it you know portrayed the the future here? I did like those little touches. I mean, yeah. Again, they're not the you know George Lucas wasn't behind any of that stuff, but that's that's fine. It was so the fact that they made the effort. I think was was good. So an A for effort for them. Um, you did also have the virtual reality uh, helmet that uh, Jack was trying to uh, enjoy some adult entertainment with. Uh, <laughs> so, again, there's another little PM, like, we're going to get this in there. I did find that kind of odd, too. Like, maybe that's, though, you know, because it didn't seem to be working quite well for him. So maybe that's where his uh, 
disdain of technology was coming from was his he couldn't get that vr helmet to work correctly yeah because that i uh, i picked up on that as well and that was definitely that was in my notes as well because on the one level jack scalier is this um you know he drives a vintage car that is yep. you know like 30 years old he hates robots so you sort of think that he is uh, a, a you know a bit of a luddite a bit of a technophobe but here he is at home uh, with a virtual reality headset on and as you say enjoying some adult entertainment on this or, or trying to enjoy some adult entertainment on this virtual reality headset and that didn't really i thought that clashed with the type of character that he was portrayed yeah. as in the rest of the film right didn't fit fit with the rest of his story but uh again it's pm needing we need some more sex appeal so you're <laughs> going to put this helmet on and you're going to watch some porn and you're going to like it so <laughs> yeah i mean i i would i would agree with you it's definite a for effort i think in that that particular element of the film um you know and i i think they strike a really nice balance between um just giving you uh, you know some uh just giving you enough to suggest that this is the future but not too much that uh it sort of starts to show up the the limitations of their of their budget i mean there are some other pm entertainment um, films which are um set in the future and you know they're they're fun films to watch but uh, i think they they they've dated um very badly because they're sort of trying to do too much about showing the future whereas i think t-force just gets it uh you know just hits that sweet spot between a few little touches to such to show you that this is a different world to the one that we live in but doesn't sort of expose the the kind of uh the limitations of the budget they're working on right and, and another piece i think that they did well was kind of that industrial kind of post-apocalyptic world that they also kind of had uh towards the end of the film kind of showed like you know the past has been torn down and it's mm. it kind of gives you that future feel too uh to a certain extent little little mad max in there yes and they, they that's this is a bit where uh which actually it would have been interesting actually if they had potentially fleshed that out just a fraction more because there's a very brief reference to to that area being something like a that is called a decriminalized zone which mm -hmm. is never really explained um again feeds into this idea that actually law and order has broken down i guess to the idea that it can be enforced in it can only be enforced in some areas but outside of that it's it's something of a free-for-all so that was a there was a little tantalizing hint of of uh, some world building there which probably could have stood actually for a little bit more uh, a little bit more detail than, than what we got in this film well they probably could have but we needed that vr scene so and, <laughs> and the porno mag scene so that's probably what actually ended up on the cutting room floor now, obviously, we're both uh, action fans, so uh, we couldn't possibly review this film without having a look at the action that's on display here. So uh, what did you think of the big set pieces that we got in T-Force? Well, obviously, I was talking about it a little bit earlier, the, the opening um, where T-Force is called in for this hostage situation. You had Vernon Wells there. And I mean, within 10 minutes, within you didn't even have to wait. Within 10 minutes, that helicopter exploded. I mean that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they really get um, they really get off to a, a cracking start in this in this film, and uh, yeah, the great Vernon Wells is is uh, leading this uh, terrorist raid on a, on a skyscraper at the uh, the start of the film. Sadly, he's he's just here for a little cameo appearance, but uh, he 
clearly seems to be uh, enjoying himself and clearly uh, clearly has decided, OK, I'm only going to be in this film for 10 minutes, but I'm going to absolutely uh, make the most of those 10 Maximize minutes. Maximize his minutes, absolutely. And you notice the uh, British ambassador <laughs> was the guy from Lionheart. Ah. Like the rich guy who, who, who uh, bet on Jean-Claude Van Damme's character. So it was nice to see. I think his real name is like Frankenstein, too, so... <laughs> Interesting. What what a what a great name! What a great name! Right. And uh, I mean, one of the uh, one of the one of the great things. I mean, I will. Uh, there's a there's a wonderful article actually, um, uh, which is called a uh, that I read in sort of researching for this this particular episode called uh, an oral history of uh, of PM Entertainment, where they speak to a lot of the uh, a lot of the cast, a lot of the crew who worked on many of these PM Entertainment films. And uh, I'll I'll put a I put a note to it. Uh, I put a link to it in the in the show notes for this this particular podcast but uh in there there was a fabulous detail that basically pm entertainment in terms of like honing the type of films that they were producing basically had a sort of in-house rule for the films that they were making whereby there had to be an action scene every seven minutes which you know given that their film run given that their films typically run for about 90 minutes gives you a sort of an example of just how sort of jam-packed their films are with uh, with action and uh you know certainly t-force lives up to that as, as you were saying you know straight into a big action set piece um uh from the off there and there are regular helpings of uh of action after that i mean one of my favorites that uh that i saw in this film was the uh, the attack that the T-Force lead on a police station, which it was a kind of uh, assault which may have been very familiar to uh, to anyone who's ever watched the film Terminator, because it seemed to have more than a few parallels to uh, drove that, that car movie. right through the right through. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have seen that before. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. Jordan, what? I want to watch a movie. I, I want to play some f***ing tunes. I want to watch a movie. I want to play tunes. Movie. Music. Movie. Music. Movie. Music. All right, fine, fine, fine. How about this? We will watch a movie, all right? Okay. Talk about that movie, and then we will listen to the soundtrack that went with that movie, and then talk about that as well. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So join us every episode on Screen Chats. You can check us out on iTunes. Go to our site, uh, ScreenTrats.net. That's uh, Screen, C-S-C-R-E-E-N-T-R-A-S.net. Join us for every episode. We hope you can join us, and we'll have a lot of fun, all right? Yes, we will. All right. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action, and we don't have to wait long for some copter mayhem, uh, as the movie obligingly serves it up in the opening minutes. When the T-Force go in to deal with that initial hostage-bothering skyscraper situation, the terrorists attempt to escape by fleeing to the roof, where a helicopter is waiting to whisk them away. They make it on board, but the T-Force have arrived on the job with enough weapons for a small war. Uh, they fire a bazooka at the disappearing chopper. Mission accomplished, quips the uh, leader as he surveys the whirlybird explosion. Chris, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? Well, the thing I liked about this one is it really, I mean, 
it was a key element to the story. It wasn't just let's blow up a helicopter, blow up a helicopter. I mean, that's the whole thing that gets the T force in hot water and kind of gets the whole rest of the story mm. going. So, yeah, this one was like a, a exploding helicopter with a purpose, not just just because. Yeah, not just punctuating a scene, as is sometimes the case. Which is probably also why it happened so early. I mean, because, yeah, a lot of times the exploding helicopter is the big finale where your mm. bad guy gets gets his. Um, but here we had it again in the first 10 minutes or so, and I liked it. I would say it's a pretty meat and potatoes um, exploding helicopter. Although, you know, I did enjoy the fact that uh, the explosion, um, you know, fills the screen. It's a pretty juicy explosion. Um, we don't see it for a terribly long time. And, the, the, you know, we don't get to see sort of, uh, it's not a sort of extended out in any way. We don't see get to see sort of, you know, any lingering shots of, of wreckage. But uh as you say, it kind of the, that whole sort of opening sequence does build towards this particular moment. It does play a pivotal part in the film. I think, all told, it's a good exploding helicopter. I'm going to defer to you because you're the expert in this field. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it. Okay, well, I think that is probably just about going to uh, wrap things up for this show. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Do you want to take a, a moment to tell people where they can uh, find you and where they can find Bulletproof Action online? Oh, sure. Uh, obviously, BulletproofAction.com is the website. You can find us there. We are on Facebook and Instagram, at Bulletproof Action. And on Twitter, we are at Bulletproof Pod, which would lead you to believe that eventually we will get that podcast we've been talking about going so uh <laughs> so you can follow us there and uh yeah so love to have you guys come on the site leave us some comments interact with us on social media we love it and i've enjoyed uh being a guest on your show will well thank you very much for joining me and i do you know i'm big big fan of your site you know i, I see you as a, a kindred spirit over at, uh, at bulletproof action and i would recommend people going and checking out uh checking out your stuff because uh very entertaining reviews you do some very uh some very cool sort of uh pieces uh you know uh telling you things that you didn't know about these uh kind of like these old movies that uh you've maybe seen a few times but you managed to sort of find something new to say about them so yeah always enjoy checking out the the content that uh, is on your site appreciate the support well as always don't forget to check out the uh, exploding helicopter website for more reviews about films where helicopters explode sharing is caring so if you could see it in your heart to give us a like or a share we'd be very grateful we'll be back soon but until then keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. What are these two people doing? It appears as though they're procreating. Can we procreate? Try. But I think you'd have to take your clothes off first, Gore.